To celebrate the holidays and to close out 2022, I've created you a Christmas cracker episode with Dara Brewstein, coach and business strategist. She's interviewed the likes of Seth Godin, Deepak Chopra, Bobby Brown, Shaquille O'Neal, and Adam Grant. People often ask, who coaches you, Mandy? Well, I have a few amazing people on my support team, and Dara is one of them. Today, I got to teach her something, and maybe some of you too. Dara is new to the concept of the Christmas cracker, and in case you are too, it's a festive custom here in Great Britain, dating back to Victorian times. A colorfully wrapped cardboard tube, think the size of a toilet paper roll, is filled with a couple of items, including a paper hat, a joke, a little gift, something useful like a nail clipper or dice or a measuring tape. So two people hold opposite ends of the cracker, which is wrapped kind of like a candy. So there's the these ends that you hold and you pull. And inside there's a banger that pops. And one person is left with the bulk of the cracker in their hand. I guess that's what you call, who you call the winner. So there's this delightful moment of chaos all around the Christmas table when the crackers are popping and the contents are spilling out and everybody's talking animatedly and laughing and the jokes are always super cheesy. So there you go, your trivia for the day if you didn't know what a Christmas cracker was. If you're new here, a very warm welcome. I'm your host, Dr. Mandy Leto, executive coach and former investment banker. This is a show for anyone whose life looks shiny and successful from the outside, but inside you're secretly exhausted, though almost nobody would know. If you identify as a perfectionist or people pleaser or imposter or overachiever or high achiever who is hanging by a thread, welcome. Welcome, actually, however you identify. I'm so glad you're here to play with us today. We're starting today's holiday episode with a bang, sharing a piece of learning or wisdom from our year. And then we're going to play with some of the other contents of a cracker, something useful, a joke, stick around for the jokes, and we'll put our paper hats on, obviously. So I drop us right into the conversation where I've asked Dara to pull a cracker with me and to share her whiz-bang of learning from 2022. Ready? Let's go. Well, first, you just reminded me of American Thanksgiving as a child. So there's kind of joy in thinking back to the wishbone and the breaking being like, or the Oreo. When you twist and you're like, am I going to get the cream side? Do I win? It's just that competitive nature. I know we're both three Enneagrams. So there's, can't get past that. Gosh, the joy for me, I'd say, well, actually, I'm going to say the learning for you, because for me, I, it's one of my highest values is learning and growth. And so anytime I'm learning something, I feel in the joy of that. And a question, my friend Kimberlyn and I always sit down and say is, what are you learning? And it always takes us into these multi-hour conversations, which I love. One thing that I've learned about myself this year through the process of building a house that I am not proud of, and it reminded me that often the learnings are so deeply rooted that we think we've, quote, gotten past them, but there's little roots or big roots that are still there, was how much... I can allow the outcome to override the journey and the process or the desired outcome or the way that I want it to go. And while this is a cliche learning, I think there's so much wisdom in these kind of antiquated cliche trite things because they've tried the test of time and there's really something to it. And when we let them bypass us in favor of, ah, well, I've heard that before, or I understand that 
I always see that there's this giant difference between lowercase k knowing and capital K knowing where I can lowercase k know that I should enjoy the journey, not the destination or both. But did I capital K know that? No, I certainly did not. And I kept finding myself really sidewinded and derailed by delays or, you know, vendors falling down in the process, metaphorically, obviously, and other things that would so take me off this trajectory of enjoying what the purpose of this whole thing is of building a home to have all the values that my partner and I are intending to develop and co-create in the space to entertain and grow our family and grow together and, you know, make this, this space for others. And for me, it was such an important point of learning that I'm still grappling with as we continue through this very long process. But I look at it as a a point of joy because I'm like, wow, I went into this process of building this home for X, Y, Z reasons. But as a byproduct, I was able to experience a jillion other things in the crucible of this experience that came out as not necessarily what I desired, but exactly what I needed. And much to this idea that you and I talk about a lot of slowing down and witnessing, I was grateful that I had had the tools from all of my years of growth and reflection to get to a point where not only could I do this project, but that I could slow down in it and witness myself experiencing that thing. So then I could bring that into the moment as it was happening and continue to evolve in that process, which I think might confuse people. They might, you might be listening to this thinking, why would that be a moment of joy? Because for me, it's not necessarily the, like I opened the big present and the red bow was on top and there was this beautiful gift in it. To me, that was the gift. The gift is that I get to continue to know myself better So I can continue to live out the things that matter to me, which in so many parts has to do with living full out in expression of service to others in a way that doesn't make me a martyr or someone doing it out of pure obligation. But every time we have an opportunity that presents itself to us, that allows us to see ourselves more deeply and truly, and we take the invitation and say, okay, I'm game. (laughs) I'm willing to do something in service to that. That to me is joy. That to me is the gift and doesn't mean that I'm enjoying every moment of it. It's sometimes completely unpleasant. And this is why I love hindsight. And when we get the gift of reflection, we see, oh my gosh, that refining process has been a gift, even if the gift was one that in moments I'm like, no, thank you. (laughs) Not interested. It's, It's the idea of collecting dots before you can connect them, which is a really beautiful insight. I was thinking as you were talking to one of the bangs for me this year has been a learning of stepping out of a lot of the good girl conditioning that I have lived in. And I've been, it's been a blind spot for me, but growing the capacity to not be liked, growing the capacity to be misunderstood without having to push against that with the proving energy, the I'll show you. And instead allowing myself to be misunderstood. So there was a certain professional relationship in which I felt deeply misunderstood by a person in a position of power. And I found myself scrabbling to try to control that person's narrative of me because I felt it was unfair and I didn't want to be perceived that way. And I didn't want there to be a story out there in which I was perceived as 
a villain or as, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And I really had to catch myself in that moment because I hunkered down into that familiar energy of, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I realized that for years, that proving energy served me so well because it really got things done. It motivated me. And somehow now at this stage of my life, it doesn't feel like it has quite the same power. I just felt it was such an energy suck and that it was consuming a lot of my time and it felt like pushing boulders up hills. And then when I slowed down and really got clear, put my hand on my heart, connected with myself, I realized that I'm at choice and that I've built capacity through all of the meditation and through all of the application of the things that I've done, the coaching, the the reading of the self-help book. It's the integration of those things because otherwise you just skim along the surface and highlight the books and then, but there's actually the application of those things. And I thought, hey, I'm at choice. I have the capacity that I can hold not everybody understanding me or liking me or seeing what my value is. And that felt like a major aha moment. And now I'm making it sound really neat and tidy here. And it definitely was not that. There was a lot of wrestling with myself and thinking, okay, I'll do a little bit of this proving and then realizing I'm doing it. And then like, talking myself out of it. So it it was a lot of toing and froing, a lot of mess in the middle, but I think I've mostly let go of that now and it's still a little bit of a tender spot for me, but that feels like major major progress of building my energetic capacity to hold being misunderstood by someone without falling into the default of I'll fix it, I'll show you, I'll prove you wrong. And just knowing that I can hold that. I have space for that now. I've created the space for that. And it's okay to be misunderstood or it's okay to be not liked. And noticing that little good girl's like, but (laughs) getting really clenched up about that and just realizing like I have the ability to soothe that part of me and to know that I'm okay. May I add to that? Yeah, please. Wonderful. So you and I share that. I recognized several years ago that one of my biggest deepest rooted triggers was being misunderstood. And so I took myself into a guided visualization that I want to share with the listeners in case you find something where you see my reaction to this feels outsized, or this feels like, you know, if there was glass under my skin that someone just rubbed their hand on it. And I was like, "Ow, that really hurt when really you realize that's not the level of reaction that's necessarily warranted for someone gently rubbing your skin. And that's what I realized. I had it come up at the time that I recognized this with someone on my team who works with me or worked with me. And I was like, why is this hurting me so much? Why am I doing exactly all the things that you just talked about, Mandy? And so I went into sort of that meditative space and I asked myself, you know, mind take me back to one of the earliest memories of when I remember being misunderstood. And it zoomed me back to this place in my childhood that I won't even go into the details, but it had to do with our caregiver and not my parents, but our caregiver at the time and the way she treated my twin brother and me trying to help him and sort of save him from that interaction and not succeeding and me feeling my heart breaking for both of us. And then 
my parents not believing me. And so me feeling like, oh, wow, like I came from this place of care and all of these other things that felt so sincere and real. And as a kid, raw. And in that moment, I said, okay, now I need to be in the experience of this and allow myself to refeel it. And I remember, and I'm not one who cries very easily, but tears started coming down and I was feeling the feeling again and reenacting it in my head. And then I experienced it and I thought, okay, that's a deep root of feeling misunderstood. And I said, who needs to be forgiven in this experience? And I forgave my parents. I forgave the caregiver and I forgave myself. And then I reenacted and I said, okay, if there was an idealized version of this for me, how would this have played out? And I played it back out in my mind. And then I sort of put a little, you know, bow on it by just feeling what that felt like and coming back out of my meditation. And it was so deeply healing, not that it eradicated this from me of feeling misunderstood, but it began the deep healing that I needed for that. And the reason that I'm sharing this is because we all have these triggers and we all have these reasons that they're rooted from earlier in our existences that oftentimes we have these experiences that continue to pile on it. And when we think of healing, I think we often think of it in a way that it's huge or we like have to go on an ayahuasca journey to the Peruvian Amazon, or we have to go for 17 years to talk therapy or, you know, fill in the blank. And those things obviously have a time, space and place, and there is real efficacy to them. And Healing can also happen in these ways that we have the power over, that we are in the control of. And so if we want to stop and give ourselves the opportunity to use the tools that are available to us and not wait for an experience or not wait for someone that we deem the one who has the power to do that, it puts us back in the driver's seat. It's sort of a yes and that yes, we can do it ourselves and we can invite in others to support that. It's not mutually exclusive. So perhaps for someone listening, that can be a useful tool. What about you? What learning was transformative for you this year? Did you integrate anything from these podcast episodes you've listened to or the books that you've read? And I don't mean just by highlighting them or putting colorful sticky notes in them. I mean really integrating them. Maybe a relationship situation has stretched you or something happened at work that's really been transformative. In a world that moves ever faster, there's something beautiful about slowing down and reflecting, something I love doing at this time of the year. So back to the Christmas cracker, there's something useful inside, as I mentioned earlier, but you're not getting any nail clippers or any dice today. I asked Dara to share something useful from her year. The thing that's coming to mind and certainly doesn't fit in a package is... This is seems so silly, but it's coming up because I think it really made a shift for me in the last year. I'm a person who believes in like 360 well-being and that coming from a lot of angles, but the thing that I would always deprioritize was my physical fitness and I deeply know that there is such a connection and a thread between the way that our body feels and the way that our brain works and our energy levels and our mood but I would constantly deprioritize it because I didn't like the ways that I had experienced quote physical fitness. So I was introduced to this treadmill base that has nothing but the, you know, thing on the ground. And I put it under my desk and Jerry rigged my desk into a makeshift standing desk. And I've been using it all year and looking at the data on my phone of how much I moved last year to how much I've moved this year and how I have felt 
in a more anecdotal way than just what the data has showed me has been so different where I feel myself more energized, more sustainably energized. And when I think of something practical, I'm like, wow, for me, that was such a win because not only did I feel good, but I am such an efficiency junkie that I was like, oh, this is great. I can work from this space. I can take phone calls from this space. And I'm simultaneously making a commitment to feel good in my body and feel good in my mind. And it all worked together for a couple hundred bucks. What a great investment. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. My tool is more of a 1.0 version of that. But one of the things I've really been playing with that would be my contribution to the Christmas cracker is noticing anytime I'm feeling myself getting clenched up in my jaw or in my neck, that's the place where I immediately notice that I'm gripping or I'm about to be triggered by something that's always a sign. And when I can then get to that place where something just doesn't land well with me, or I'm feeling like my mood is radioactive, or someone said something and I just feel myself going, is this idea to slow down? And if it's safe to do so, to close my eyes and to put my hand on my heart and just to take a breath or two from that place and that act of noticing and slowing down and closing my eyes and putting my hand on my heart it takes me out of my head and it reminds me that I have choice in that moment. There's not a catch all for you know what I do in that moment. Sometimes it might be like, okay, I need to get out and walk. I definitely don't have one of those funky things that you're talking about, but getting out in nature, I might need a cup of tea in that moment. I might need just to step away. I might need a hug. I don't know what I need, as I said, but this tool is a kind of a Swiss army knife for practically everything. It's just slowing down and connecting with yourself and not letting your head run away with conclusions or, you know, just let that wave of anger or irritation take over because it can take a long time to come down from that puffy energy. So I think that's something that I would offer as the verbal equivalent of the toenail clippers in the Christmas <laughs> Craig. <laughs> Time to put our wonky paper hats on. What I love about this part of the Christmas Cracker episode is the invitation to not take ourselves so darn seriously. I've been reading Arthur Brooks's book, From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. He talks about this phenomena called the striver's curse, which he describes as people who strive to be excellent at what they do often wind up finding their inevitable decline terrifying. They find their successes increasingly unsatisfying and their relationships lacking. So how's that for a downer? So these people with the striver's curse tend to start doing even more to outrun what he calls the agony of irrelevance. And this is where the paper hats come in. Stick with me. What if the slightly ridiculous hats are a metaphor for relating to ourselves differently and not just during Christmas dinner? We are all moving towards decline and irrelevance if you measure that in conventional success metrics. So we can't change that, but we can change how we relate to it. 
Okay, so I've put on my red tissue paper hat, askew of course, and I'm sharing a quote that I screenshotted from the School of Life app. I'm a lover of quotes. I don't know if you are too. My notebooks are full of them. Okay, so here we go. The way to greater confidence isn't to reassure ourselves of our own dignity. It's to grow at peace with the inevitable nature of our ridiculousness. We are idiots now, we have been idiots in the past, and we will be idiots again in the future. And that is okay. There aren't any other available options for human beings. Mm, I think that is my number one quote for 2022. Okay, Dara, hat on. What are your thoughts on relating to ourselves differently? We all get so deep into what we think matters and that we think that we're the center of everyone else's universe when really everyone is the center of their own universe and few are paying much attention and rarely are they paying the attention that we think that they are. So that concept of putting that hat on and feeling this reminder, a tactile reminder of don't take yourself too seriously, watch everyone not take themselves too seriously. We're all in the same pot of mess and brain malfunction thinking that everyone's judging us and we're judging ourselves. I love that reminder of a, hey, let's kind of close the year out with a little laugh and a bringing of that momentum into the next year of that levity. I love that. I think the thing with wearing the hat too is it takes us out of our heads, as you said, and it reminds us, especially in these events, I often think if you have a Christmas dinner, people have had a little too much red wine at this stage. Everyone's looking a little bit greasy in the forehead. The hat's is slightly sliding. So it's kind of on a jaunty angle. And there's this delicious, beautiful, palpable ridiculousness to it that yeah. is so, it's so real. And I love that, that, you know, you can have somebody who's a CEO in real life and here they are, you know, with a little of, Brussels sprouts, something or other stuck in their teeth and this hat at a jaunty angle. And I think part particularly for overachievers is we spend so much of our lives trying to put up this front that we're serious and we're credible and always sort of outrunning the inevitable decline of our status and trying to be somebody. And it's a beautiful reminder that we can all be around and love one another, even if we're irked by one another and be in our ridiculousness. And there's something so empowering about owning that ridiculous part of ourselves and not taking ourselves too serious. It's liberating. Totally. It's also bonding because that's the place where you get to really know someone and connect with them. And when we take the mask off and as you were talking, I had this other pendulum swing thought to the other side of this, which maybe this is just me, but it's a thing I've been thinking about myself, which is I know you and I really connect on having true, raw, authentic, real conversation that surface stuff doesn't really do it for either of us. And I've sort of noticed in environments I've been in, and sometimes even in myself, this performative vulnerability of like, I feel like the only way to connect with you is to be tremendously open and vulnerable. So I feel this pressure to show up in that way. And on the one hand, it's authentic because it's truly what I desire and what I'm seeking in exchange if the person is game. And on the flip side, 
if it's coming from that place of should or ought to or needs or must, like that is a different intention that is undergirding the delivery of what's actually happening, which takes me back to this thing I think about a lot that two seemingly opposing things can coexist simultaneously and that one action can look identical from the outside. Yet it's the intention that most people are never going to know, see, understand, or otherwise that tremendously bifurcates that same action into two different pathways. So I could go into an interaction with you like right now where I don't feel the need to show up a certain way. I know that you and I have a level of trust and I can show up how I choose to show up. And I believe that you have a similar feeling. Whereas in other cases, there can be those times where it's like, oh, well, we only have 20 minutes and we haven't seen each other. You know, we just have this moment. And that can drive me to feel like, well, you got to get a nugget and you got to get that point of connection and it's got to pull something out of there, which totally changes the intention and can sometimes change the efficacy or the impact as well. So not sure where that came from, but it came out. Mm -hmm. I think there's this ability to when we can own that side of ourselves that doesn't have to be performative. And I think in that sense, what you said about putting on the mask, it's like taking off the mask and in some ways just allowing the hat, the paper hat that's always sort of there, the invisible paper askew, slightly <laughs> brightly colored, slightly askew. <laughs> it, it, it just brings up that smile straight away. It's freeing somehow. And it's not performative necessarily. So yeah, I get what you're saying. There can be so much pressure to connect and be deep, especially for those people who are in the self-help space. And sometimes it's just, what can we just let it be? Let it be. There we go. If we could license that song, we should play it right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So if you've stuck around all this time waiting for the corny jokes, you are in luck. Dara and I wanted to make sure you've got some groaners up your sleeve to inflict on your family over the holidays. Eye rolls and sympathy laughs at the ready. Here we go. All right. You ready for this, Mandy? What, ready. what does Santa suffer from if he gets stuck in a chimney? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm already laughing. <laughs> Claustrophobia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to hit you with one of my best ones. Okay. How does Darth Vader enjoy his Christmas turkey? Ugh. I really want to get it. I don't know. <laughs> On the dark side. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Was that very three of me to be like, I have to get it? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally the Enneagram three in us. Okay, you got another one? Oh, yeah, sure do. What is it called when a snowman has a temper tantrum? Oh, I don't know. A meltdown. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> that one feels so obvious, but yet you couldn't do it either. These are so wholesome. Okay, I've got one more for you. What kind of motorbike does Santa ride? Uh, an electric sleigh? <laughs> a Holly Davidson, of course. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Okay, take us home. You have one more? Yes. Uh, this one, I feel like I just gave away. <laughs> Why do reindeer like Beyonce so much? Oh, I don't know, but that's they got good taste. What you got? Yes, they do. She slays. Oh, of course she does. <laughs> <laughs>
Do you set an intention for yourself coming into a new year or what do you do? I mean, there's always this new year's pressure or this like, I should do something. Is it just another day? Is there a way that you approach a new year? Yeah. And it evolves every year. In the past, I had this multi-pronged approach to goal setting and visioning and mantra creating. And I hit a point where I recognized the three in me, the achiever, the get it all done, the check the box, no matter if I want to do it anymore, I committed to it. It actually became a diminishing returns experience for me to hold myself so steadfastly to that. Whereas I think for some people, they need that accountability. And for me, it became a bit destructive. So I started hitting a point where I remember several years ago, I said, I'm not making any goals or intentions for this year. And I said, I'm just going to pick one, two or three words that are the feelings I want to feel this year and let everything fall under those buckets. And I've really more so stuck with that. Like this past year, 2022, I hybrided it a little where I was like, you know, my biggest priority this year, in addition to just like what feels right, what feels like an extension or expansion of where I am and allowing me to use the tools that I've cultivated over all these years to in the moment sort of know, is that next step where I want to go? Or is that thing a thing that's a yes or a no for me? Was that I wanted to outsource and delegate as much in my life that wasn't feeling additive, that could be joyful for someone else or you know contributory towards their business or what they were doing. And that's been a really cool experience because that really found its tentacles into so many parts of my life. And again, it challenged so much of me of letting go of perfection of all this other stuff. And so the other practice that really undergirds this whole thing for me is that I have a November birthday and I've had a practice I've done. I think this is the 12th or 13th year where every year, sometime around like end of the year, post-birthday, I do a public facing long, usually reflection on that calendar year from like birthday to birthday. And it always encapsulates the what and the how with the learnings and everything else. And so for me, it's a time capsule and the public part of it is both an accountability piece as well as a lot of people tell me they've been reading it every year since its genesis and that they find it motivating for them to do a similar practice or to have some self-reflection exercise in their life. But for me, it's important because I notice that I have great memory on some things, but when it comes to the amalgamation of what's happened in a year and how often it's the small things that really add up into something of note over time that I don't give credence to as it's transpiring, it helps me really see that lens. And then to have this arsenal of 12, 13 years of time capsules, so to speak, to reflect back if I so choose and say, wow, in some ways I see the similarities of who I am, of what I'm chewing on, of what matters to me, of what I value. And in other ways, I'm like, wow, it's like reading a sixth grade journal and being what an emo weirdo, like what was I thinking and doing? And could I, why was I so torn up about that thing? But to give myself that gift has been really interesting. And then that becomes this wave that it catalyzes for me, how I want to look at my intention for the year and how I want to feel about it. So yes, it's sort of this, mix of things of sort of little and lots all at once. So what are what the, do you have the the three words? Do you have what they are yet? Or do you just intuitively feel into them on the first day of the year? How, what does that look like? So I haven't yet done the writing reflection for this year. So that always informs it to some degree. 
So ideally I'll work on that before the end of the year. And then that'll help me really see, okay, knowing where I'm coming from and knowing some idea of where I'm looking to go and look how I want to feel in this next year. What are those words? And usually it's pretty intuitive, but oftentimes it's a brainstorm where I'll have words that'll come up and I'll write them down and then I'll sit with them over the course of a few days and be like, which ones really feel right? Like this year, wonder was one of my words and that had never come up before, but I was like, I want to really like milk those moments and really feel the wonder and the awe and the save, like savor was another one in a way that I hadn't before. And a lot of that came from the reflections the year prior. I'm trying a new reflective practice this year. I've just ordered the Goodbye 2022 Hello 2023 Guided Journal by Project U. However you go about it, Dara and I are inviting you to do some reflection and integration at this time of year. Otherwise, the blur of January is here before you know it. You're back in meetings and school runs and all of the stuff. So thank you for playing with us today. You can find Dara on Instagram at Dara B. That's D-A-R-R-A-H-B. And her website is Dara.co. That's D-A-R-R-A-H dot C-O. She will be back very soon to talk to us about visibility and getting yourself out there while still feeling authentic. So before we get back to our mulled wine and that pile of books on your nightstand, I bet you have that pile too, a couple of final things. Who would find this episode a real holiday treat? Please go ahead and share it with friends and on social media. And also, if you love the show, please ensure that you've hit the follow button on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And it also really helps the show. So thank you for that gift. And speaking of gifts, if you're really feeling generous, I'd be so grateful for a review wherever you consume this podcast. I'm taking a creative break and I will be back with a shiny new episode for you on the 19th of January. And all right, then one more Christmas joke. Here we go. What is a vegan's favorite Christmas carol? Soy to the world. Okay, I'll stop now. <laughs>